Hey, Stu, your rent's due, motherfucker. Hey, Aries, you heard about that new uh, podcast app called Anchor? I sure did, Andy. Guess what? It's time to pay some bills. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. And they have tons of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And we know you know about that money, Jew boy. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go download your Anchor app now for free, or you can go to anchor.fm to get started today. Can you feel it, baby? That money? Yeah. And don't be pulling that falling down the stairs shit on me, you hear? I'm hoping, fingers crossed, me and Andy, we find this is round two of called Let's Get Right. Uh, he gave me a critical piece of wire. I'm using the uh, microphone that came with it. Uh, I'm in the right room, so there's no echo. We've done all the tests. Houston, we are ready for takeoff. I can't wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow's Wednesday, right? Yeah, yeah today's, Wednesday. today's Wednesday. Well, goddamn it, yeah. We're recording on Tuesday, so I can't wait for today. And hopefully this shit sounds right. Four, three, two, one. All engines running. Mine's coming up. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Dude, this, is good. this part will be up to Steve whether he puts a, a, a beautiful Apollo launch sound behind it or that... Uh, what was the thing that blew up when it was 14 seconds in the air? The what, what's that? Why the thing you that they got fl- to go dark, nigga? <laughs> God damn! <laughs> what what was that? The, 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 what's the, 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 it was in the 80s. The space shuttle. Yeah, the space shuttle. That's the other one. Yeah. Oh. So Steve, Steve, depending on how you judge our sound, you can put that. God <laughs> damn! So you could call this either the the uh, Apollo Apollos to the moon or the uh, the space shuttle to nowhere. Oh, God damn. <laughs> all right, now for comedy. <laughs> Dude, uh, it's all comedy to me, man. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, so let's talk about what you're excited about, because obviously it's that time. I get to do it, the N P. I miss that boy. I miss- Dude, just so you, and then I'll let you out of the floor. Dude, I've been YouTubing for the last two weeks on my PS5 in my bedroom. Old 90s Bulls games. Uh, whether it's the 72 and 10 Bulls or the championship 91 through 93 years. Looking at the old NBA on NBC. Bulls Knicks. Bulls Suns. 
Bulls, uh, Blazers. What a fucking time. Dude, those are great games. I mean, seriously, the matchups were unbelievable. Uh, there wasn't like big, I mean, there were blowouts, but the games were usually pretty close. You felt like it could go either way. That, that's what makes that's what makes it great for me. It was the the, the drama of you knew they were going to cut to Ahmad Rashad with the sideline commentary. You had Bob Costas who gave the intro, the the the, the pre. What do you call it? The uh, whatever the pre whatever to before the game started the pre drama clip. Then you knew you had the matchups. It was just you know that fucking did it did it did it did it. It was just, I would say, brought it back to NBC. You know, you know what, though? Here, here's some of it, though, too. The uh, behind the scene, like when you would cut, like you said, uh, Ahmad Rashad, or uh, what's the dude you just said, too? Uh, Bob Costas. Bob Costas. Yeah, Bob Costas. I don't know how I could forget Bob Costas. Bob Costas sitting there. Dude, they always had these little nuggets of things that were kind of going on behind the scenes, you know, like. Who who was little? Who, there was who was having a little argument? Who was a little miffed? Who was a little ruffled their feathers? But with social media, you don't get that today because everything's already out there. Exactly. So there, so there was. There's no like. There's no buildup like that. There's that not, not that, that that little trickle of suspense or that little ooh that you don't get that ooh because it's already out there. And and this was pre Magic Johnson. Let me get my articulation together. Because I'm a businessman, and I have to represent from a business standpoint, from a black cultural standpoint, and can't sound ridiculous. You know, my in today's game, Jordan, they know that the playoff. And in the playoff, they got to bring their full game, be good, or go home. So, that's, when he was, that's when he was a businessman. Now he's a business. Man? man. Yeah. <laughs> So your Phoenix Suns, what did we? What's the? What's it at? Two zero? No, it's two and one. They went back. Uh, the two games in Phoenix, they won like they were supposed to, and then they went back to Milwaukee, and Milwaukee won the game and was supposed to, but they didn't just win it. They, they, they gave it to the Suns. They, they did. gave them they the gave business. It. They did. Did they, they give did. it? Did they give them the business the way the viral video of the Suns fan went? When he gave it to the other fans <laughs> and he beat the motherfuckers up and said sons and four. Uh, you know, that what is that seems a little harsh with the way that they showed it. I guess that dude had uh, spilled a beer all over him and then was it was giving him some words. And then that's what, how that took place. That's what I heard anyway. I don't know. Uh, I wasn't there because that's a, that was re- that was the regular play. That wasn't the finals. That wasn't the finals game. That was a playoff game. But I was there for game one of the finals. With my son, um, Matt. You know, I had the sweet seats, right? We had good seats. We didn't have the best seats. We had seats uh, kind of more in the corner. Right. And uh, we were about the 20th row, so we had great seats. Uh, considering, for what I could afford, they were the greatest seats right, right, right. <laughs> that I could afford. How, you, you mind telling the people how much you paid? Uh, and you were, being, the- you, you, you were being a little Jewy about it. <laughs> you would be a little bit Jewy. I'll tell I'll, I'll tell you the whole story. I'll, I'll give you the whole business on it. Uh, I went and I went to go find seats, and I found some pretty good seats that I really liked. Tenth row, uh, right on the corner, but on the on more on the good side of the corner, not behind the backboard side of the corner. And I picked them out, and they were like I think fifteen, like right around 12, $13, 14, 1500 dollars a seat. 
And then I went to go get my seat, go get them, pay for them. And uh, they turned into like, well, 3800 bucks because of the fees. Oh, so the first you told me three grand. Yeah, well, it's three grand, but then the fees. And I think it'd be. Oh, so I basically, think and then with food and snacks, four grand? It would have been. It would have been. But you cut back so then, on, some chi- on a few chips? No, no. I, I, so when I saw that, the fees, I go, I can't pay that. I can't. That's too much money. I can't. I really couldn't spend that. I really couldn't afford to spend what I spent, but I wanted to do it for my son. And I'll, I'll explain that in a second, though. But he goes, uh, so then I went back online. I went and looked in another area. Uh, there was a little bit more, more so behind that corner, but more behind the the basket. And when I found those, they were a little, they were a little bit cheaper. They were up ten rows higher, and I was able to get them under three grand for the pair. And that's that's what I wanted. I wanted to be able to spend three grand because I still had to fly myself out there. And you know, like you said, I wasn't I, food. You know, going out. I took my son out to dinner after the game. We had the best time. And that's the thing. That's what I wanted to say. This wasn't. Uh, it's not something I would normally justify. Like I personally like watching the game at home. I like the replay. I like listening to the announcers. I like that I can hear it. I like uh, that I have my shit in the refrigerator. I like watching the game at home. Uh, honestly, I preferred even over the going to the bar and then they don't have the volume on and everybody's just yelling and screaming. I, I actually like it at home. But my son called me when the Suns were doing well. And in his whole 23 years of existence, the Suns really didn't do well. Uh, when he was real little, they were doing okay, but not well. So he uh, he uh, he said, "Hey, Dad, the Suns look good. You think if uh, they go to the finals, we get some tickets?" And I was like, the "Suns aren't going to the finals." So I instinctively, Dad, like said, "Sure." And that way, when they didn't go, it wasn't on me; <laughs> it was on the Suns, right? But the motherfuckers made it, and, yeah. Uh, and so uh, I was getting some tickets, and you know I was flying out. So unbelievable time, and it wasn't it wasn't about the game, although it made the memory. It's about the memory, but the memory of me going out there to be with my boy and them winning is a lot better memory than if they didn't win. So it, it worked out well. We so had the so best at time. the end of the day, the thirty eight hundred slash four grand, even though you didn't like it, you liked it. Yeah, no, it was definitely worth every penny that I spent to go out there, fly myself out there. Uh, all of it was good. It really was good. And then as a bonus, when I was out there, um, I got a call from, uh, uh, I got an email, and I told Matt, that I, uh, the booker for uh, uh, the clubs out there that I work, uh, he said that there was, uh, uh, he said he didn't have anything open. I, could look, I let him know I was coming out. And then... Uh, Tuesday night after they won the game, we're out uh, having some dinner, and then I get an email from uh, Matt, and he uh, hooked me up, and I opened up for Ian Edwards over at uh, uh, CB Live up in North Phoenix. So uh, all in all, great weekend, man. Everything was great. I, uh, Ian Edwards, I love the dude is such a cool man, and uh, getting to hang out with him and listening to do his comedy uh, and getting to work with him was great. Jumped on the red eye, got back out here yesterday. And uh, had some shit to do with my house, and here we are right now. So everything's been good. I just need the Suns to uh, figure out how to get two more games out of this you, series. You, you kind of left out the best part, though, when you told me the story in Toledo. That uh, it was such a nice moment to experience with your son. You teared up a little bit. Oh, yeah, I did tell you that. Okay, so, okay, here's the here. But see, I needed this whole thing to happen. 
I uh, after the game, we're at the game and we're rooting. And the Suns, I mean, it was close. It, 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 the Suns were in control the whole game, but it was close. And so there was tension. And uh, we're sitting in our seats. We're waving our towels. We're doing all the things you're supposed to do. And then after they won, my son and I just stood up and we hugged each other. You know, like, I don't know, just in this greatest hug. Like, it was a tight hug. It wasn't just like that little slap on the back hug. It was like, I love you, son. And I Y'all was you, nipples to nipples. Nipples to nipples. And uh, it was just such that moment that you could never, like, there's no way that moment could, if next year the same thing happened, and we went to the finals, and we went to the first game. It, it wouldn't make a difference if the seats were better. It wouldn't make a difference of any of that. That moment that we, we put together, uh, and everything came together at that one moment. That, was the best. that, that is one seriously one of the best moments of, of, of my fatherly life. I, I, I can't, That's awesome, I can't. man. I, I, it was. It, and my other son's just at home because he, didn't want to, he can't go to the game because it's too loud for him. Right, because a lot of kids have that sensory. A lot of kids on the autism spectrum have that sensory thing, and it's too loud. So, uh, his autism saved me fifteen hundred dollars. There you go. That's dark <laughs> comedy there for you folks. Um, <laughs> listen, speaking of basketball, as I was watching the NBA shit, I think I'm working on a new impression, man. I don't know how close it is to perfection, but I think I get I got the gist of it. So I'm gonna debut. And keep in mind, folks, this is, this is uh, humble beginnings. This is, I'm putting the ingredients in the pot. It's starting to get warm. It's starting to, an aroma's building, but I don't know if it's there yet. Uh, I have been wanting ever since I saw The Last Dance to impersonate Dennis Rodman. Um, and, I, I, you know, I was trying to pick up on what's the thing. And, of course, as, as, as much as I kept trying it, I was way off, and I still might be way off, but the more I kept watching, I started to notice there's a, there's a, a gargle when he speaks, almost like he's drowning, like gargling water. Um, so this is, I remember when he was on uh, 30 for 30, when he won his defensive of the NBA Defensive Player of the Year award, and he started crying. I don't know if you remember that. He just broke down and yeah, yeah, yeah. couldn't hold it together. And they cut back to him talking about that, and he was like, uh, I was just so excited uh, to win something in the NBA. You, you could have gave me a lollipop. I, I, was, I was just so excited <laughs> to, to win something in the NBA. Um, and then I remember on the last dance when he was talking about him, them recruiting him to the Bulls, and he goes, I wasn't even surprised to ask him to play for the Bulls. Uh, you know, Phil Jackson, you got the great Michael Jordan, the great Phil Jackson. And I just thought, you know, they said, Dennis, do you want to play for the Bulls? And I was like, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I think I need to keep growing. But you, do you see the, the, with the clay it, as I'm chipping it, away? It's it, right. Dude, it is so right there. And you're right. I never heard it before until you just... He's he, there's uh, like there's so much like spit in his mouth and then right. it's it, it's halfway it's the sound between him spinning out the spit and then swallowing, swallowing it. it and almost and almost drowning. getting caught you're, in the middle, dude. Right. I, I said one of the things I said I, I said if I ever see John Sally because I remember when I was doing best damn sports for two months and you know John was a regular. I want to ask John what is up with Dennis now that he's older? Why that nigga always got all that white on his lips? Like he just be eating <laughs> powdered donuts. And the thing that, as I was thinking about the 30 for 30, the, like, you know how with Tony Soprano, like I said, keywords, Janish, the yesh, 
in a Janish. You know, Uncle Joe. I'm going with Dennis the way he said lollipop. That's when it felt like he was drowning. And he, and he didn't say excited, he said excited. I, I was so excited to win something in the NBA. You could have given me a lollipop. <laughs> so I was just like, I, I, but somewhere in there, I still got to bring the levels down, find when to key in on certain things. But yeah, that's a work in progress, man. Yeah, but it's there, dude. It's right there. I mean, I know, I know who you are, so I know it isn't at an Aries level. Right. But almost on anybody else who does impressions, it's at that level. Right, right, right. right. I was even a son of the house with the Plifinables. Uh, Scotty Pippen, Michael Jordan. I needed a vacation. So, I, you know, I got to work on it, man. Dude, uh, uh, that's going to be funny. Because if you could get uh, Michael, uh, Charles Barkley, and uh, Dennis Rodman all in the same room, you got right. something funny. Yeah, funny. yeah, 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 yeah. So... I'm thinking about that, man. Um, real quick, want to touch on this Rachel Nichols thing? Yeah, you know, it's it's a little older, so there's not as much to go over. Uh, well, well, let me ask but- you flat out, because a lot of black people, including S- Steven Jackson, came to her defense and said she didn't say anything racist. It was about her protecting her job. Now, I have my thought on that, and I agree with him and most black people as far as do I think Rachel Nichols is racist? Do I think she was trying to be racist? No. But but before I get to my butt, what do you think? Uh, no, I don't think she, she was trying to be racist. But now we have to, before we could go further in that, when you said trying to be racist. Like, I don't think she had a malicious no, racist No, she didn't have bone. hatred in it. She didn't have hatred. Right. But but when you break down our our uh, how our society has grown what it has grown from and you say not trying to be racist I mean is there some racism in there? White white slip-ups. She had a white slip-up. Well, I don't even want to you know what th- there's two parts to this though. There's shit that there's shit that black people say in their home about white people that they may even like, but they, you know, culturally sometimes we are we're off. Same thing with white folks. She had a conversation that she didn't know was being she didn't know that was going to be recorded or used that way. If she would have stopped at uh, the part where she said in in the initial part, I understand what's happening because ESPN has such a bad record with diversity. She's right on the money right there. She's caught in the middle of this because partially of ESPN's uh, practices in the past. She is correct on that. But when, you know, then you start going into where you think about things and think and you're thinking, whether you're thinking out loud, doesn't necessarily mean how you feel, but how you, what you're thinking, how you're going through it. You know, that, that comes from a place of maybe, you know, not trying to be racist, but maybe hitting a racist note right along the way okay how, how, how did i deal with that how did, how did a white dude do on that ex- explanation no I, I i i think he was i think i think that's a fair assessment here's what i think got her in trouble and and this is where the slippery slope becomes so dangerous because there's no f- fact behind this but the gut feeling behind it is not often wrong it wasn't what she said. It was the tone in which she said it, where it was like the Black Lives Matter movement 
and all this, you know, this movement and, and diversity tell black people, I don't have a problem with it, but it's not on my watch. It, it ain't going to affect, don't come for my job with that. And almost without putting words in her mouth, but the tone felt like it was more of a, don't come here with that shit. Like, don't come here with that shit. Black Lives Matter and all that diversity shit. It was like the I, I, tone is what felt, I don't want to use the word racist, but the tone is what felt uncomfortable. And I think she got in, in trouble for her tone, which again, I think is a very dangerous, slippery slope. It almost reminds me of the movie Minority Port uh, by Steven Spielberg with Tom Cruise. You're arresting someone before they commit the crime, but you know they're committing the crime. Because the technology showed you they were going to do it. Yeah. But so she, she wasn't trying to be racist. She's not racist. But she had racial attitude. Well, okay, that goes along the lines, though. And, and this is where why you're saying it can be so slippery. Is she saying it because of of a systemic idea of what racism is in this country, or is she saying it because she is a woman who is also affected by the majority white male dominated business? And is she saying it because black lives matter as she said it, how it was said, but don't come from, don't come from my job. I'm part of the, of the people who get affected by this, too, because in essence, what, what she was trying to communicate, from what I understand from reading what I've read, uh, it's not just about the fact that she was losing. It wasn't the fact that she was losing a job to a black woman. It's why, is it, why does it have to be just one job for women, black or white? Why is, only, why is there only this? Why are we fighting for this one job when there's literally... Hundreds of jobs. Why, okay, why now, are we? Now, this goes back to what I always say to you when we have these conversations about a sensitive topic like race and you say certain things. Maybe she should have articulated that better. Better, yes. And it didn't yes. feel like that. What it felt like was her initial gut reaction, which we as human beings tend to have and oftentimes tend to go with, which is usually the wrong first uh, step it, because you're dealing with anger emotion and and your first initial reaction is to move with that anger and move with that you know uh that displeasure if in that thought process and that often is the wrong way to go versus take a deep breath think about it uh let cooler heads prevail gather your thoughts and then say it but if she didn't know she was being recorded then even more so, she went with the gut. She went off her first reaction. Well, in, in saying that, too, and I think that's why so many people came out to her defense, if she doesn't know that she's being recorded and she's working this out in her own head, but talking out loud to someone that she thinks she can have this conversation with, and that's why I said, we all say things in our own home. We all say things in our head that we're not necessarily, we're, we're working through it to try well, and Just let me ask, was she at home? I think she was at home, yeah. Oh. But she was, I think she was trying to work out what she was feeling. Like, you know, I used to have this thing about what, what, uh, what, how to explain racism or race in America in a different way. And I always like, I always thought like, if you were a dude, if you're, if you're a dude and you're working and you have cake 
you know, and someone walks into the room and they don't have any cake and you know, there's cake in the other room and you don't say anything to them. Uh, they say, Oh, is, is there any more cake in this room? And you go, nah. And, and, and then you don't let the, and you don't tell them where the cake is. I think that I, 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 I see where to, you're going with this. They get you know upset. They didn't get no cake. They didn't get no cake. They turned into Sam Jackson. Where's the motherfucking cake? Cake, yeah. So, but you knew, you knew right. where it was. Right. So you prevented someone from being able to get what they what they need. But it also makes me go, because you're at home, and and you have every right in your home to do and say as you will. It's your private sanctuary. But, and and it was wrong whoever recorded her. But it also goes because you were at home. Because you were in privacy. Damn, bitch, is that how you really feel? But is she that, never said... That oh, attitude, ahead, that tone, is that how you... Like, that tone, if that's your tone behind it, don't come at me with that shit, then damn, how do you really feel, seriously? Okay, but then let's go back to what I was saying about cake. So, so then the other person is the person who's sitting at their desk. They're eating their cake, and then somebody comes in and goes, there's no more cake in here? And he goes, no, there's no cake in here, but there's, one, there's a cake in the other room. And so then you tell people where to go get the cake, and then all of a sudden the boss walks out of that other room and says, hey, by the way, give up your cake because there's people in this room that want the cake now. Mm. You were the one telling people where the cake was. Right. And now you're you are getting pushed out because you told the people where the cake was, and now there's not enough cake in that room anymore, so you have to lose your piece. And what her point is, there's enough cake to go around. Right. Don't take my cake. Go take it from the people that aren't giving out any cake or letting everybody else know where the cake is at. Right. And as a woman, and, and I and I really, again, I really tried to put I I read enough on this that I really tried to understand her point of view, not as uh not not trying to keep it out of uh, a color perspective and as a, as a female's perspective in a male-dominated business. No, I believe that, and I see that point. I definitely see that point. But you do have to watch how you say things. And the other thing is, and I, I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here right now on this. As, we, as, as people come up in this business, and it's happened in the entertainment business in a visual medium... You have another person coming up behind you who's also younger, prettier, and better and better looking. Right. And and this is an entertainment business. I'm and, and listen, I'm not trying to to take this away. I'm and but this is also goes back to that male dominated part. Who who is most excited to see the better looking younger woman on the TV? I almost wanted to do that like Cosby. Who's you know who's better the one the better looking woman with the oily legs and the <laughs> carry champion? You see, right? So you know, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of this. There's a lot of fingers that can be pointed. Uh, I just think to, if you want to, I think she got a lot of people that support her because I don't think that that's who she is in her heart. I don't think that she was ever trying to make it just about race. I think that she saw that she was in a predicament because of ESPN's past. I think that she also is someone who broke some barriers and really, really, she's never tried to be all over ESPN. Her thing was the NBA. You know, I, and I, I just find it fucked up the hypocrisy of it all because again this is espn removing her for a tone based on something they perceive to be 
racially wrong, but at the same time, y'all will hire women based on certain looks for certain appeal. So while you're trying to be right, you also committing wrong. Well, how about we do this then? How about we start our own network, just call it Ugly People TV, and we <laughs> <laughs> and we just have some some of the people that wouldn't normally make it on regular TV. We don't have to call it Ugly People TV. How about we just call it British Television? Not your, hey, British. <laughs> if you see the fucked up teeth, fucked up teeth television, fucked up uh, teeth television. There it is. You know, just people who normally don't make it on television because that their, their, their look isn't appealing. So. Uh, whatever. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just I, it, again. I don't think there's an answer to this. No, there is no I, answer I, I, but I think it's just scary when again, tone gets you in trouble now. Tone. If there's a sense of, you know, man, this is what you meant within your tone, not by your words, within your tone, then we're all in trouble, man. You know, th- that's one th- one way of looking at it. The other side is I saw a lot of people who came out for her and, and supported her because of who she is and because of her legacy that she's already established. Mm-hmm. So to that, yes, you might said something that tone-wise didn't sound right, or you might have went a little further because you were at home thinking it out in your own head, com- conversating with someone else, trying to come to some resolution. But... uh you you have people judged her upon who she was, not just about that one single moment and what she how her tone was. So I I, I think there is some you can take a little bit from that and say okay, so it's not as bad as uh, people are trying to make it all out to be. Right. Um. <clears throat> all right. You ready to move on to? Uh, yeah. Let's do this, dude. For you're, those, you're a guy. Yeah, man. For those of y'all who are uh, listening uh first of all and also let me just say as i like to sometimes do for the new listeners uh any questions concerns you want to get some shit off your chest email Spears 45 at hotmail we'd love to hear from the new listeners and if you are a new listener uh as i always say uh i know you're listening now but if you can try to go back to episode one go from the beginning track the evolution uh, god damn of the show so you know what that means um and uh Follow the growth and all that. That being said, uh, there's a well, 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 just uh, before we jump into, do we want to tell everybody where we're going to be on the uh, yeah on the twenty third and twenty fourth? We'll be at uh, the funny boy, funny bone in funny Des Moines. Boing. Ooh, yeah, I almost fucked that up. I did fuck. That's also the reason why you use Aries Spears uh, if you want to see Aries Spears forty five uh, at at uh, hotmail because you don't want me reading your email. Uh, you want to send it to Aries? You can you can communicate with me on IG. I respond back, but uh, you don't want me reading your email. Otherwise, you're going to have stutters and uh, reimagined words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, so go ahead. There's go a ahead. great back on doc- you. yeah. There's a great documentary, uh, you guys, especially if you you know you're into movies. And as much as we all love movies, I like hearing the the, the behind the scenes stories, especially of of people who come from greatness. Uh, and a director that was really prominent in the he started kind of in the late 60s, mostly 70s and 80s. Um, Brian De Palma. It's on Showtime. It's called De Palma. Um, and dude, I'm gonna tell you something. It's funny because I remember I watched this. <coughs> pardon me, Doc. Pardon me. I'm sound like Dennis Rodman. I don't know. I was stuck a little. Um, I watched this. <laughs> 
I watched this documentary before this one. There's another one. This De Palma thing is about an hour and 50 minutes. There's another one called Spielberg on HBO, which is about two and a half hours. But I'm bringing that up to say this. Um, When you watch those two, clearly De Palma was like the Dennis Rodman of filmmakers compared to Spielberg's clean Michael Jordan-like image. Um, Because De Palma was gritty. De Palma was, was... was dirty. It, it 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 had that. De Palma's style and feel was like New York in the seventies before it became corporate. And it's like, dude, those are the. I, I wish I could work with a director like that. Not to say I would never, because Spielberg is Spielberg, goddammit. But when you look at like Spielberg, De Palma, Scorsese, and then there's that great picture of the of them all. We're like kind of like the Untouchables, where they're all sitting at a table, and it's literally Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, Brian De Palma, um, Francis George Ford Lucas. Coppola, and George Lucas. And I just went, De Palma was that dude. Anything in a film that required violence, even if it meant violence against women, but it was in the context of the film, certain language, breaking barriers, going there, he fucking went there. It's a great yeah. one. You guys got to see it. Yeah, I, I was looking at some of his early career influences, though, and it was just kind of funny to me because, you know, how you say, um, how you just said he was kind of like on the edge of that group, you know, right. because uh, one of his influences they put is Andy Warhol. Mm. And I, I'm a Warhol fan. I am. But uh, the thing is, no one includes Andy Warhol in part of their uh, filmography as people who influenced them. I mean, I'm sure there's some people now, but I'm just at his time. Warhol was kind of out of that out of bounds area. So, and, and if you were gonna, if Warhol was gonna do uh, a graphic scene about a woman, he was gonna do it, you know, with graphically as 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 De Palma would. So he was gonna it, be truthful to what it was that moment. Yeah, and um, so yeah, De Palma was a little. Uh, he's out there as far as the. Uh, the greats go. He's he's the one that's kind of on the the edge, the outskirts. They even showed that one clip. Speaking of Warhol, where De Palma was talking about how much he liked art, and they cut yeah. to inside the the museum, the art museum, where he was talking about how he did certain shots and showed that. So yeah, uh, I think he was a big art fan. Yeah. Um dude, I didn't know because I always thought. De Niro's humble beginnings were with Scorsese. He worked with De Niro from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, like young, he had a a a, a box cut, a military box cut. I mean, and he's young. Baby fat on his face still. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that it, it was it was cool. And that's one of the things that I wasn't expecting to see in the stock was those early cuts, those early takes of uh, uh, of of uh, De Niro. And that was that was that was pretty cool to see that. Like, dude, imagine, imagine doing something from the time you got baby skin on your face to literally old man skin. Like fucking De Niro, and and De Niro, I think one of his quotes was, "You never stop learning. You're always evolving." And that to me felt like, I know that's one of those humble things to say, but goddamn, when you've been doing it from diapers to diapers, are you? You're a master. You're a kung fu master. What are you really learning still? Well, the, yeah, that's a good point. But 
and, and taking this into a, a smaller uh, window, when they're showing those first like two films that he did with uh, uh, the Palma did with uh, De Niro, you watch those two, and there's there's things where you see. I saw this unnecessary hand movement mm-hmm. uh, from De Niro in one of these scenes that they're showing, where like he was speaking and had like a, a cadence to his words, mm-hmm. but then his hands were matching the cadence. Mm. And I, I've never seen that before. And then not too long after that, he's doing Taxi Driver, and you just see it was so cool to kind of see someone like De Niro, where you get to see these cuts. And you, you can see where he's learning to act. And then when he, you can see he's struggling to, to find his self in acting. And then you see Taxi Driver and you're like the metamorphosis of someone like De Niro. And you know that it's happening because of directors like De Palma, like Scorsese and working together. And when you, that's, that's the thing that I think it gets missed in these genius moments where you say how great De Niro is, but it didn't come just from De Niro. It came from working with great directors. Like I've always said, you need a great coach. With a great yeah. player, but what I will say is how I how I said there are certain, and I remember we we talked about this with comedy. There are certain dudes who become comedians, and there are certain dudes from Jump who are comedians. Yeah, and it just looked like, and I hear everything that you're saying about De Niro's growth, but from day one, he could you could tell he's an actor. He's not because he's not trying to be he's not becoming he was that like him yeah. Pacino Denzel Nicholson they're that from day one well and, and speaking of that too then you just brought up Pacino he I didn't I, I mean I did know but never thought about it how early he worked with Pacino as well yeah I mean look it, it, there, there was a clip they showed from the movie De Niro did called Mean Streets and he delivers yeah. this line where he goes to the guy he's supposed to give a guy money and he goes I'm going to pay him. I'm going to pay him. Now, he delivered that like that. I would never think to do that. I would just go, dude, I'm going to pay him. I'm going to pay him. I'm going to say I'm going to pay him and give it the urgency. But again, if I could interview him, what made you go, I'm going to pay him? What made you drag that out? But when you, that part, like you said, did that just come from him or... What I really liked about this doc as well is as De Palma goes back and shows you, they show you clips of old movies where his influence, where he saw through an other, another director or another actor's eye and brought that into his film. In a lot of them, you can see where he talks about it, openly talks about this scene here from and talks about being the, the only person to really follow in Hitchcock's footsteps. You just brought up two points that are in my notes. But I don't want to get lost and shuffle all over the place. So before I go to those, because we'll come back to them. Okay. Uh, I want to go back to that. Um, going back to that. I want to pay um Now, comedically, when I go, I believe dramatically guys like the greats, Pacino, De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio, Denzel. They instinctively can take material and find where to make those moments the way comedically certain guys can take what's on paper and make it brilliant. Dude, I was laying in bed last night, and I, don't, I can't remember what the movie was, but Craig Robinson was in some movie, and the scene was he was wearing a pink tuxedo, and he's holding hands with this white girl who I guess he's fucking with, and they're exiting the scene, 
And before they leave the scene, he says two pieces of dialogue. And I swear I just went, that first part was in the script. That second part, that nigga made up. And and before I, I say the, what he said, and, and you've heard you guys heard me talk about this on a podcast. Again, what made Eddie Murphy the Michael Jordan to me of comedy is he could do it all. There was no weaknesses in his game, except to me personally, singing a little bit. He ain't no Jamie Foxx, but he can sing. But just because you're funny on stage don't automatically translate to movies. Just because you're funny on stage don't mean you could do sketch. Just because you're funny on stage don't mean you could. It's hard to do it all. And to me personally, they're off the top of my dome. Kevin Hart, Mike Epps, Craig Robinson are phenomenal at improvising and making moments in scenes that you remember. Now, Craig's stand-up don't really do it for me like that. But in movies, Craig is a genius. So anyway, he's, he's holding hands with the girl, and he's, he's walking out, and he's kind of doing this, you know, that loving, we're holding hands, but our arms are swinging. We're in love. It's almost like we're skipping, but we're not skipping. And he goes, yeah, girl, tonight we're going to fucking bust the world up. And then he goes, and then at later, I'm going to bust all over your face. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that too much? And it was the way he delivered it, and you didn't expect it. We're going to bust the fucking world up. And then I'm going to bust all over your face. And I just went, I, I, th- that's such a unique ability. In the same way, again, De Niro can say and draw out a line. Dude, I, I respect that because it's one of the hardest fucking things to do i don't disagree with you at all but before we go further you know when you uh this is for you and steve if you want to do this you know when you say that uh, eddie murphy wasn't that great of a singer but he could sing yeah if we could drop uh my girl likes the party all the time party all the time right there for just a couple seconds and then go back <laughs> into it i or, would absolutely love that or even better than that because i think party all the time was a comical attempt Like he was trying to be funny. I know he wasn't trying to be funny and put your mouth on me. Okay. Okay. Uh, That song, put your mouth, put your mouth on me. Girl, who taught you how to do that? (laughs) That fucking, and the video, nigga. And if I was a king with Michael Jackson, ooh. Dude, one of the things I, I love about the Palmer 2 is when he goes, uh, when they get to the segment about Scarface, and he goes, off the top of the dome, I've never been a fan of hip-hop. And he's an old-school director. And he goes, you know, and like you said, because I, I remember, Andy, when you mentioned this, that Scarface wasn't a big hit. And he says on the documentary, yeah, it was a marginal hit, but it wasn't a runaway hit. But then, right. of course, a decade later, when the hip-hop culture got a hold of it, it, right. it, 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 it changed the game. And he goes, uh, again, I didn't know anything about it because I'm not a fan of hip-hop. And then uh, whoever made the movie, I don't know if it was, was Warner Brothers or whoever made the movie, the studio called and goes, would you be opposed to making putting a hip-hop soundtrack? Scarface. And he said, 
would you would you be okay with that? Absolutely not. <laughs> like he didn't give a fuck that hip hop infused life back into this movie. It made it a cultural icon. And and the hip hop community breathed life back into this. It gave it a second wind. And he didn't give a shit. He stuck to his artistic guns. Well, yeah, and to his point, what he said was, you don't go change in any, and he, made it, he, he named off a few movies that are iconic. Right. Because you don't go change those movies. Right. I th- you know, he was, I, and, I, and it, the reason I say that he did it, just true artistic integrity. That's all That's it what is. I'm saying. This, yeah. This is the movie I made. He don't yeah. give a shit about oh, the shit. influence of hip hop. No. Well, he's also, he was born, what, 1940? He's, you know. But, but some directors would succumb to that pressure. Hey, it's, I, it's young, hip-hop, it's hot. And even he said, because of hip-hop and the video gaming, and I know you don't play games, but they, yeah. they, they referenced, they flashed to uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, which, you know, I play, and, and they show the character inside the Scarface home. Yeah. And he was like, now I'm a hot director. It made him hot. Yeah. And he didn't give a shit. Well... I, again, just that's what you that's that's the artist, man. That's the artist. And and I think it's I, I I I love the fact that he's like you said, stuck to his guns. But it would be pretty cool to see Scarface, but it changes the tone because it changes the time of that yep. piece. Yep. So I understand I understand his artistic. I say don't I say don't to, change it. I say don't change it. But I would love for someone to do an uh, to do an um uh, an unauthorized version where you see it, but you would get the, you would get the hip hop music in it. Right. I think it, I think it would be pretty cool to be done that way. But I also like you, like I said, I understand you, you would lose that, that time because that's, that's that 1979, 80s, uh, Jimmy Carter's leaving the yep. white house, Ronald Reagan's coming in and all that music was from that time period. He got the music. That, and that's the other thing. He got the music, right? He's Giorgio Moroder was the one who did the music for it. And it's the right music and tone for that movie at that time. So I do get it. But you're, you're right. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't care about what it made him. Uh, it was just, that was my art. That's I, I hung that piece. That's the frame I want on it. Right. Um, he oft, he often referred to, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, um, yeah. as this great cinematic genius, um, and I want to ask your opinion on this because I remember on an episode of Opie and Anthony, Patrice was ripping Hitchcock a new one. He said he was overrated, bullshit, get the fuck out of here. There was nothing genius about his work. And during that argument, Paul Verzi was in the studio and they just started arguing. Paul was like, Patrice, you're out of your fucking mind. And Patrice would go, oh, what? What was so moving? Birds, vertigo. You agree? Disagree? You know, again, Brian De Palma kind of summed this up really well when he talked about like an artist who's come up as he did. You know, and and I I have to watch how I say this because I'm a person who started in my journey into entertainment and art a lot older. But the traditional path is usually people who started around there, you know, you know, get involved in their 20s. And then he talks about that that most great artists or directors, it's their 30s, 40s, and 50s, where their life experience, that they have enough to be able to translate that to film, but they're 
in the moment enough to make it credible in a great movie. And he talked about that the two Hitchcock movies, which was Psycho and Vertigo, uh, as his best movies. And then the other stuff that, because he became a popular director, came after his 50s. And it wasn't as good. And De Palma says that. And I think that that's kind of, you know, he, I think Alfred Hitchcock got pushed into uh, American icon status after he had already peaked. And so when you look back at his work, a lot of people don't see the greatness in some of the things that he did earlier. Uh, and some of the things that, you know, he, uh, some of the things that he did that transcend, transcended film a little bit. You don't you don't see that in the earlier the later works when he was the more famous Hitchcock and the more popular one. Do you? But do you personally think that Patrice's assessment was crazy? Yeah, well, it's crazy if you when you say Vertigo, if if you take the movie itself just on its own, yeah, you might that, not. That's the one. That, is, that, is Vertigo the one where he's wheelchair bound in his apartment, looking at other people's apartments? Or that's Rear Window. I think that's rear window. Okay. The vertigo is the one where he, the fear heights. So he has to be, it's these camera shots. I, you know what? I'm not, I, I like the bird. I actually like bird, the bird movie, even though uh, a lot of people didn't said that that wasn't his best. I thought that there's, a, there's a lot of tension. What I liked about Hitchcock is the tension that he creates in film. And when you talk, and this is why I can't believe Patrice said that there's in comedy, Patrice talks about embracing the silence there's a lot of moments that a lot of other directors felt were wasted in, in Hitchcock films where he focuses on maybe the face and a long scene where it's a long drive and you're just focused on that person. He provides tension in that silence in those moments. And I would have thought that would have been more on Patrice's level. Dude, you know what's crazy? Uh, Martin Scorsese. And I think this is kind of when what they got from working with each other. There was a clip where Martin Scorsese was talking about what you just said. Silence. Silence builds tension. And he specifically goes to the scene in Goodfellas. What am I, a clown? Am I here to fucking amuse you? And there's just that silence between Ray Liotta and Pesci where they're looking at each other and you don't know what's going to happen, but the silence is making you sit on the edge of your seat. And finally, Ray Liotta goes, get the fuck out of here, Tommy. And they all start laughing. Wow. So I definitely agree with that. And now that I think about it, I've never seen Vertigo, but I loved Rear Window. To me, that, that the fact that it took place in one place, and it was that yeah. dude peering into other people's lives, looking in their window, and of course the climactic scene is the bad guy sees him looking at them, and then he goes over to... The, the scariest moment is new, knowing that guy was coming over to Jimmy Stewart's place to get him, and then of course they have the tussle, and he's outside the window. And it all takes place at night. That tension of, oh, shit, dude sees me looking at him through the binoculars, and now he's coming to get me. That, uh, I thought Birds was great. And, of course, Psycho, come on, man, that changed the game. For what that time was? Well, yeah, not only that time, but he, he did take chances. I mean, and the studio was again. He killed off his, his lead actress in the first 20 minutes of the film. And, and, no. for the, and for that time, that was considered violence, like graphic violence. Well, yeah, yeah and, and to show that violence without showing that violence. That, that scene in black and white where you're watching the blood go down the drain, right. 
that's a, that's a crucial moment in film. So when Patrice says that he was overrated, that moment right there, that's, that's the same effect, even though that he, uh, De Palma says that it's not used, uh, that the people didn't follow in... Uh, in, in uh, who, who are we talking about right now? Brian De Palma, uh, Patrice. No, 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 no. The, uh, the, the we were just talking Hitchcock. That people didn't follow Hitchcock. That Brian De Palma says they didn't. That's the same effect in uh, in uh, Reservoir Dogs, where they're cutting the ear off, and you don't actually see the ear cutting off, but you you get that tension. You get the whole that that's a very uh, Hitchcockian way of showing that scene in Reservoir Dogs, uh, where uh, they're cutting the cop's ear off. Right. That's very Hitchcockian. So they do use it. They just don't use it in the same cinematic field that Hitchcock used. But they do use what Hitchcock used to build tension. Yeah, as much as I love me some Patrice, uh, this is one of those where I disagree. Because Psycho changed the game. And I'm going to tell you something. This is a point that Palmer made. The original Carrie. You know, a lot of those movies that have been remade, they don't hold up against the originals. No. The, the Psycho remake with Vince Vaughn, the, the, the Carrie remake, and they did that twice. And speaking of which, uh, Carrie came out in 76, so I was a year old. Um, but I saw it as a kid, I think it 10, 11 years later, scared the shit out of me. <laughs> to this day, scared the shit out of me. Did you see, you saw that movie, that was your time, right? Yeah, no, I saw the movie. Scared the shit out of me. Right. Scared. I mean, what I really liked about it, though, uh, and and what I don't think it gets credit for, is that is really the beginning of all the movies that came out afterwards, like Halloween, uh, Friday the 13th. Um, All those movies kind of follow that formula that you can come back from the dead. Right. That kind of, you know, that when he has the hand reach out and grab her, that was before those other movies. I, I think it was before uh, Halloween. I, I'm pretty sure it was before Halloween. Right. I know it was before Friday the 13th, but I, I his, that was, uh, you know, the whole house getting collapsed. That's a, fre- that's, that's the, uh, that's a Freddy Krueger kind of moment when the house collapses. Right. You can feel the effects of that movie in the whole, that whole genre after that. And, you know, when we were talking about um, when I said uh, in, in an earlier podcast, when I was talking about the reason they didn't need, re- need to remake uh, uh, um, Pet Detective, uh, because like, that moment had already gone. He, like, he, he, Jim Carrey created a moment, and he, then he already had worked past it. De Palma doesn't really go back, backwards. Like, he c- continues. He could have went and did become that guy that made all these weird horror movies after that. Right. But he created that moment, that genre, and when that when when uh, Friday the Thirteenth is killing it, Halloween's killing it, uh, Freddy Krueger's, ki- he could have came back with his own kind of movies like that. He never he never went back there. Well, again, that that lends itself to not wanting hip hop to be in a Scarface movie. He's exactly. an artist, man. He's going. He's, he's moving forward. Put his picture up on the wall with the frame he wanted, and he now he's out the door. That's hanging in another gallery. You know, it's funny. He was talking about Sissy Spacek, and I forget the one movie he mentioned where he said a friend of his was dating her, and she was the set dresser for that. And she yeah. had a choice between auditioning or going to go do a commercial and screen testing for Carrie, which, of course, the studios didn't want her. 
thought she was yeah. wrong. And then he specifically said, but then, of course, she did the screen test and did the movie and made everybody look stupid. Yeah. And I know I've said this before on here. How do these motherfuckers keep their jobs? How, do you, how are you that wrong and you keep your fucking job? Well, That's why I, can't, I keep going, just sign the fucking check and let the creative people do what they do because you guys are so wrong all the time. Yeah, but De Palma was still was on that other girl too. Like no, he, you know, he, he, he said he he said honestly he told, to her he was thinking about somebody else. Yeah, that that other girl was ninety percent in her foot was ninety percent in the room. She she had to come out. Sissy Spacek had, had Sissy Spacek had to come out and take over that part, and she did. But obviously, none of them knew because even De Palma, who knew her, wasn't like saying no. You yeah, should stay. But but, you, but the difference is directors. And people with an eye for talent will give you the shot. They may, they, they may, they may go, yo, my heart is stuck on so-and-so, but I'll give you the shot. The studio didn't even want to give her the shot. And, and he did what people who have an artistic eye are supposed to do. If you get right. the shot and you go, oh, shit, this broad is better. Guess what? You got the job. Yeah. Well, uh, two things. Two things that I want to get out of here. And you said it because... People, this is a, this is again, this is a business, this entertainment business, but it's also an art form. And if, like, I always think about it in, in the eye of the idea of, uh, of being a sculptor. A sculptor has an idea of what they want to sculpt, but they have to work within the parameters of the material they're working with. So if, if you're, if you, you have a marble block and you have some idea, marble may not want to form the way that you want to. And that's what, that's what a true artist does is, is, is mesh those pieces together of what they're looking for with what they have available to make that come together. And that's what a great artist does. This is what I found very interesting and still fits into the same thing I'm saying right now. And it shows you that a talented uh, director, writer, people in this industry who are really talented at their job can do this. That movie, Psycho's being cast at the same time that they're casting for Star Wars, and they're running it at the same time. You saw that from De Palma, right? On the, on, on right, the dock. Right. That is amazing to me that they're doing a, a group casting for two movies that don't go together at all. Right. But they're just looking for the right talent to go into the right, to, to put into the right piece. Those are and, and and we're talking about two completely different directors. I mean, George Lucas is not Brian De Palma by any at all. Or, I mean, they're two completely different people, but they're running this as artists. That's the that's the key to this. That people keep, like when you just said keep missing and why they need to sign the check and get out of the way. Let the artist create the art. Yes, and let the bankers get the fuck out of yes, the room. Yes, god damn it. Um, if you had a choice. Which, depending on how you answer, will definitely take me into my second note. If you had a choice, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, but if you do get a chance, Andy, really check it out. Because it's night and day in terms of contrast. The HBO documentary about Spielberg. Yeah, for early part of his career, he caught flack from directors because between Close Encounters of the Third Kind, E.T., especially when he started out, uh, what was the first movie he did? Jaws. Jaws. Um, Indiana Jones, he made these adventure-like, family-like films. And as great juggernauts as they were in terms of box office success and, art- 
and 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 uh, family appeal and effects. A lot of directors didn't consider it art. It it wasn't art. It wasn't actors acting. And and Spielberg, of course, later with Saving Private Ryan and certain other films, got into that. So my question to you becomes. If you had a chance to be in a director's movie between Spielberg, a la family wholesome, uh, fun, and what Spielberg brought to the table, or gritty, dirty De Palma, who are you going with? See, uh, that's that's hard because I can't go. I I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to go off their movies. I have to go with the feel of the director who likes me the best because this is the greatest thing about these group of actors uh, and and directors. Once they got in with someone and they got an actor at the at, especially with this group of actors, that's who they worked with. They kept going back to those guys. So I would want to be I would go with whoever I had the best rapport with that because they were always going to find a part or work a part for me. But let's say they both liked you. Who okay. would you be more drawn to? Like I said, I, I I'd be more. I, I wouldn't I, say no to Spielberg, but the Palmer dude. I, I would go with Spielberg, and I'm and I understand what you're <laughs> what you're just saying. No, and I'm going to tell you why I'm going to go with Spielberg, and it's pretty. It, it's I, I find the Palmer a little odd, and I think that we would never have a conversation. I think we're both kind of on the same oddity level, where. I don't know that we would ever talk to each other. There, you know, those moments where, you know, you can have a conversation with someone. De Palma to me seems like I just wouldn't say anything to him. I wouldn't but, have but anything. That's o- but that's okay. Rodman didn't talk to Pippen and Jordan. But as a okay. professional, you play the game. I, I think I would enjoy having a conversation with Spielberg that I don't think I would have with De Palma. So you would go on Spielberg? Yeah. Now, here's why I'm glad you, brought, why you said that. Uh, and I know I mentioned this once upon a time ago on the PC when we were talking about movies. Another great movie uh, that I love about De Palma, Casualties of War. Yeah, I know. That's one of your favorites. It's one of my favorites. If he cast you to play, and I would love to see it because, again, we talk about acting. This is where you separate who you are from who you need to be. Right. So in terms of acting, when you said to me, dude, you could play that part. I know you could play that part. Deep down inside. If you're in the business of acting, you have to pull down deep to be somebody who you're not, and that's where you win the award. I would love to see you play one of the soldiers that had to rape the girl, only because that is not who you are in terms of your personality. You are such a nice fucking guy. For you to play one of those guys, one of the assholes, like John Leguizamo's character, didn't want to do it, but he, he succumbed to pressure. But you could see the pain in his face. He didn't want to do it. Whereas that other guy, not Sean Penn, but that other white dude who was an evil fuck. Could you play that part? You think you could do that? I think that the evil fuck is easier to play than Leguizamo's character. So you think you could do that? Yeah, I think you could, and I think you can. And I think any person who has the ability to act whatsoever, I think the balance, you don't have to have balance when you play uh, the, 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 the horrible person. You can just... Whatever evil's in you, you you lean on that and you do who that character is. You be as bad as you can be. You you fall into that character. Leguizamo's character is difficult for me, and it's the character that I hated most. Oh, dude. Because because he was against it, 
and he broke his own person and went and did it for whatever reason to get along to survive. However, it was he broke his character wasn't as strong, uh, and that 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 character is the toughest one to me. I'm gonna be honest with you, dude. I can't. I have an easier time seeing you do the John Leguizamo character than the asshole. And I'm only saying that because I know at times when we're doing the podcast and I can see in your face some conflict between wanting to go a certain place and not going there for whatever reasons your reservations are. It comes off, you you see it on your face. I see it in your eyes. So I don't think that's a stretch for you. Seeing you get mean and dirty and nasty and hateful and, and... and physically violent, I don't see it. I, but if you if you pay attention to that, uh, I I would ne- I don't think that I would ever let the person that matters to me in me the 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 character of myself be the one that I, I I would neglect. I wouldn't I wouldn't compromise that person. So when you see that in me, I understand certain things. I understand why people will even do wrong. I get all that. But when you compromise your character of who you are. As a person, that's that's the conflict that I I would have the hardest time putting on screen. I would have the hardest time with that because it's not what I would want to show. I wanted Leguizamo's character not to do it. I wanted him to side with good, and he couldn't do it. That's harder to me than just being the bad guy. I think the bad guy's easier. Okay. Um, you know what these apps they have now, uh, where there's that one app where you could put your face on the face of a movie. Yeah, I would love to put your face on Sean Penn's face <laughs> and Casualty of War when he grabs his cock and he goes and he has the gun and he goes, this is a weapon. This is for fighting. Then he references his dick. And this is for fun. fun. <laughs> I would love to swap now, your face. I, I got I to be honest, though. <laughs> that character, I, and this is where you give people like Sean Penn so much credit. Uh, that, to be that to be the leader of the bad guys, I think is a hard character too. That is the, that because now you're not only being a bad guy, you have to lead a triumphant victory into badness. Uh, those two characters, Sean Penn's character and Leguizamo's character, I think are, uh, would be the two hardest to play. The, the guys, the, the other bad guys that were around him, that those are just guys walking in and following the leader. That I think is easier to play. Right. But, and, and you know, uh, and the really easy character to play is, is, uh, what what's his name? Uh, Back to the Future guy, uh, Jay, uh, Michael J. Fox. All you got to do is be the good guy. All you got to do is yeah. be the good guy. I can see again. I can see you playing that part easy. And, and I'm I'm telling you, it would be easy for me because I like being the good guy. I do like be. I you know when you say oh you're too nice. I mean sometimes I feel a little embarrassed by it, but I, I'm happy. I'm happy. Like if lightning struck me at that moment, I'd be happy going out right then. I was the good guy. I don't have to be the dick. It's so easy to be the dick, and it's so much, and, and it's fun. It's fun to be the dick. It's fun to say fucked up things. Hello. <laughs> um, of all of, and, and and in terms of the filmography, like Brian De Palma, his biggest hits: Casualties of War, Scarface, Carlito's Way, The Untouchables, um, um, um. Mission Impossible, the first one. Did I leave something out in the beginning? Did I, it's, uh, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling up his filmography right now. But just of those five that I named, because I got to say, my favorite one for me is The Untouchables. Uh, it would be, like, I hate agreeing with you and just saying, yes, The Untouchables. But yeah, it's it's the only one. I mean, you don't, you're not going to go Carlito's way because I know you like that character Carlito's too. way to me, if I had to put him in order, I'd say The Untouchables, Carlito's way, Scarred, Scarface, Casualties of War, and Mission Impossible. Um, I'm going, I have to go with The Untouchables because anytime, I, I, the way I love to judge my movies is if it's on TV accidentally, will I stop what I'm doing to watch it? Right. And Untouchables is one of those. So Untouchables for you is one, what's two? Oh, Carlita's Way has to be number two because uh, that story... How could you uh, say that, Gail? When you know I'm so close. <laughs> and to tell the story back, you know, to start off backward, but to, he's telling the story in his last moments, right? And that's when you when you kind of as as a person who just enjoys like looking back at the film, not just the film. I, I thought I found that like so interesting that he's telling it from his his last moments. So you know that that whole two hours that you were sitting there really was just seconds of his, his of his death. And so he just relived that. Untouchables, Carlito's way. What's third? Uh I don't know. I, I I actually pulled up the list. I'm looking at which ones. Uh, Casualties of War doesn't do it for me as it does. Really? It to, yeah, it has to be Scarface, man. Scarface has to be okay. Uh, Scarface is uh, it's it, it used to be one of those that I wanted to watch all the time, but I was also in that business, right? Uh, but and I was always into Scar. I love that movie from the moment it came out. Uh, just certain scenes, man. Just these little teeny, even put your fingers in the dike. Come on, what the fucking wrong with these guy? Look at the pelican. Ah, the pelican. That bad guy scene. Which bad Jesus. guy scene? When he says, I'm, I'm the bad, in the restaurant where he's the bad guy. Say the, hello. Say hello. Say goodnight to the bad guy. Guy. Oh, you people, you need people like me to point your fucking fingers. That one right there. That, that part, that line. You need people like me. I told that you, is, Tony, don't you ever try to fuck me, you fucking little monkey. Hey, hey, take it easy when you talk to me. Are you fucking ape? Hey, who the fuck you think you're talking to, huh? You want to go to war? Tony, Tony, hang on the phone, man. Hang on the phone. Yeah. But even the little comedic lines. Hey, Ernie, you got a job. Hey, Ernie, you got a job. Yeah. Dude, just, just there's, there's simplicity in that movie that just makes that movie, because it goes from the extreme. He also, now he owns a tiger. And at, uh, at another point, he's, he's driving uh, that car with the animal print in it. And he goes, yeah. Oh, you, you, yeah. Just, it, there's something about that movie. Uh I guess maybe if you were in in that too, I think. That don't get it confused, Tony. I don't fuck around with the help. Well, maybe you'll like me if I wear the hat. Yeah, there, there's there's some real. That movie is based on reality of that life. Um, you know so that that's 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 only my third, and I don't know I don't know where I go for four and five. Mission Impossible. I, I care I, less, dude. I gotta say, of all the Mission Impossibles. And I've never been huge on any of them. But the one, first one, that Brian De Palma one, I like that the least. That movie just felt drawn out and long to me until the train scene at the end. And, of course, that scene where he's hanging upside down in the room trying to get the information from the computer. 
that the, the, the Mission Impossibles just never moved me like that. And I think part of the reason why is because when I was growing up, we had the one TV, which my dad would take control of. And if he fell asleep, of course, and you tried to change the channel, he woke up out of his coma and said I was watching that when it was like, nigga, you was in a coma. But one of the shows he would watch was the Mission Impossible TV series. It would bore me to death. Dude, I love the Mission Impossible TV series. Oh, because God. the very the very beginning with that little the little uh, the wick that was burning so that dun, and it was dun, going all dun, around dun, the TV. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, oh. dude, I I love that. I also like the I like some shitty move some shitty seventies TV though. I like that the FBI one. These are true stories based on whatever whatever whatever. Yeah yeah yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. I like that one. I like some. Sh- I like some bullshit stuff. But I, that's also because my dad watched that, and that's the stuff that I was actually I would watch with him that I actually enjoyed. So maybe that has part of it, dude. Uh, Black Dahlia is an underrated movie that I think that he he was was good. I don't think uh, I saw that. I don't know if that's one that I would put up on a top list. Uh, man, I, Body Double. I hated it when I first saw it. And then I and then I liked it later. As I, I actually got, had some in my notes about that because he was saying at one point he knew a porn star, and because yeah. of the graphic dialogue and some of the visuals, he actually wanted to use a real porn star. And the network said you can't do that. And I know at one point, and I don't know if it still exists, there was a real stigma about porn stars yeah. trying to cross over into mainstream, and it was a big no-no. If you did porn, you would had no shot in mainstream. Entertainment. Right. Is that you think? Is that still what it is? You know, a, a few have crossed over since then, right. but it's not like, hey, it's the porn star. You you know her from blowjobs and hand jobs. It's not like that. It, right. They don't. It's kind of like we don't talk about it. They're they're in this movie, but we're not going to talk about it now. Uh, I don't understand it because half the stuff that they're doing in. A lot, not half the stuff. A lot of the stuff that they do now, they're so graphic about it. It would still be, it would be, it would have been soft core, soft core porn in the eighties, where they weren't just where they weren't showing genitals, but they were showing everything else, including tits. So, right. uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 I think there's still a stigma, but I don't think I think you could cross over if you need if it was work if it worked for the the uh, the movie or for the whoever's spending the money. Something I wanted to ask you. Going back to the Untouchables, one of the most famous scenes, of course, is the train station, the shootout, and the baby carriage yeah. going down the way. And he goes, he literally ripped that from a movie called Battleship Potemkin. Right. Um, and I want to ask you if so, and you know, this ain't nothing new. Hollywood steals from old shit all the time. But is it still a classic if you take something from a movie way back when that worked then? Of course it's going to work now. It's the same thing. Is it still considered a classic? Can you take credit for that? Yeah, I think you take credit for it and I think that it's I think that movies are based on um camera angles and different things that you get and you know, yeah, the idea was the uh the baby carriage falling down the stairwell, but everything else is is different. I mean, if we said if we if we made it that small, you couldn't do another football movie after a football movie was made. It's based on a football movie, and that was based on a football movie. No, yeah, but we're it, talking about specific moments, though. Yeah, but there's no shoot. You don't. Well, yes, there is shooting too. But, uh, but he's it's chore, it's choreographed different. You see different things. It's still in the eye of that movie. It fits into that movie. I don't think that he's stealing. 
as much as he's paying homage to other artists that came before him. And no, this is important too. That's a polite way to say that. No, 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 because this is important to say this. A lot of these movies would be undiscovered if it wasn't for them saying, I, I, I was this movie guy. I saw this movie. That look is what I wanted to put into this movie. So you think somebody's watching that scene go, oh, shit, I need to see Battleship Potemkin. No, but if you are a real movie buff, then you would go and you would learn that. You would go back and want to see that and see the original. And I think there's, I, I think there's so much. It's not like comedy where we get to tell this joke one time and the first time they hear it, the cat's out of the bag. I mean, you could you could lay those movie those scenes right next to each other, and you'll see two different perspectives. Right. It is. It isn't the same. I mean, and and we do that too in comedy, where so we might have the same premise, but when the joke is different, then it's okay. When we have the same premise, but the joke is the same, then that's when there's the problem. So I think that fits this way in the, in in the movie genre. I mean. Shots that were created, Orson Welles created that shot where they had uh, in Citizen Kane, where he made them dig a hole so that he could get that upward shot. I mean, now we now the stages are set up that way. Sound stages are set up so that you can get the upward shot. I mean, we we all steal to get. It, 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 I hate to say steal. It, that's that's how the art we, 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 we have parallel thinking. Okay, yeah, it, even in even in the movie industry, yeah, you'd have to have that. This so parallel, to have that this parallel thinking moment has been brought to you by Amy Schumer. <laughs> those jokes were the same though that's the only problem uh you know but i you know i even said that and 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 here here's when you brought that up about amy schumer you know like i said were those jokes like a like a like a nod to uh patrice because i, I really have a hard time with this and i'm only going to say this i'm not defending amy i'm asking this question if you're a, a comedian who worked in New York and you're going to release your special, not your first special, but a special, and you know that someone else has already done that joke and is known for that joke, you can't close with that joke and think that no one's going to not notice. I think the, the more critical part is that no one seems to care. But then... It was, was it like a shout out, an homage to Patrice? Well, then you got to say that. I agree, and I don't think it's been handled correctly. And I'm not saying one way or the other because I'm not going to make a determination on this because no one gives a shit about what I think. Here's my point, though. I think that she's done it long enough, and she should have known. Everybody's going to say that. So I don't see any other way, unless you're just plain dumb, that you would do that. I, I don't. I'm, and and this is not to give her a pass because there's other things out there as well. So it's hard for me to even comment on it because since there are other things out there, she doesn't have like necessarily a legacy that says I don't do this. Right. That's the pro- that's the problem. So I don't want to get into Amy Schumer because. Well, no, we're in uh, we're in an hour seventeen, so we're you know we're good. We're yeah, good, as, as they say in movie world. Uh, this is a wrap. It's a wrap. Yeah. Yeah, and and no 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 animals were harmed in the filming of this. Uh, Not uh, at all. No, just podcast. Just a few human beings. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Again, we'll be at we'll be in Des Moines. I just like saying Des Moines. Uh, yeah. Oh, dude. Incidentally, uh, I talked to my agent yesterday. Is this on the podcast that we're doing right now? What yes. you're saying? I talked. Okay, just making sure. Uh, the offer came in for October first week of October. Tell him where the gun line, ball. <laughs> <laughs>
I saw and it got moved to December. <laughs> Don't say it. Don't hurt yourself. Don't say it. You said enough already. Oh, all right. Don't um, say it. It's not important. It's right. not important. Um, coming up right now, musical guest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right, coming up right now, this is Willie Beagle. Uh, Peace and love. I go by Willie Beagle, the poet MC from Fairhaven, Connecticut. Uh, Manny Beat file titled Something Missing. Willie Beagle file titled Down for the Cause. Last is my Frankenstein track, Ten Cracks. Only because that sounds the funniest. Let's go with Ten Cracks. So Steve is going to play for you guys Ten Cracks by my man Willie Beagle. Enjoy. Keep the ten cracks alongside the ones Moses brought back. Listen to the rap. One, two, I gotta keep the ten cracks alongside the ones Moses brought back. Back in the 80s, things were wavy, cause I rode in a Toyota Corolla, but dad drove it like Mercedes. I changed the gears while he sipped the beer, riding through the fair, throwing up the deuces to my peers. Before mama dropped a tear, went from 9 to 18, time I reached the top of the stairs. You left the home front, raising your daughter and son. My hatred for the situation, my home was up front. Still do not get four fucks That's a notion to keep close hold of and trust Friction bottled up until we sat in the truck Your fist balled up cause Esco was talking Not your son He was crushed like the soda brand Your son now an older man Checking you cause it's the other two that need to understand Will I am Meals for no man Elohim Gaining 16 cause like Martin I have a dream Keep the ten cracks alongside the ones Moses brought back. Listen to the rap. Then in the night, she was grimy. Same guy said he got me. Did just that. He never showed it through the robbery. I heard the click clack. Too rich to bet. I had to pull my chips back. Look in my eyes. Said I'm plotting for the get back.